The time after Jesus' resurrection was an exciting and tumultuous time. The disciples who had been following Jesus, learning from him, became now his apostles, his sent ones. That's what the word apostles means. Starting at Jerusalem, they told others and taught others about Jesus, about what he had done, about how he had died, but especially, it always seemed to be an important part of their sermon, was how he rose again to life. And many people came to believe their message, to put their trust in Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> this was the starting of what we call the New Testament church, the gathering of all those who put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, in fact, this really wasn't a, a new group. These, uh, this was a continuation of the believers of all times of the Old Testament and continuing through the, the New Testament. They had believed in Jesus. They didn't know his name was Jesus, but they believed in the promise that he was to come and looked at the signs uh, ceremonies that God had given to remind them of this. But this was a new era now, starting with Pentecost, when that group of believers would extend beyond the bounds of the people and the land of the Jews in Palestine. It would be <coughs> go far, but there would be strong, sometimes even violent opposition and persecution of this growing church. All of this is recorded in the book of Acts, where we read of that new era of the church after Pentecost. And we'll be looking at selected stories from this book under this theme, because this is really what the book of Acts is about, growing the church. You see, after Pentecost, <clears throat> that's when the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to go out, and they spoke in different tongues, but also, for the first time, spoke boldly about Jesus and taught about him and what he had done. And on that first day, there were 3,000 people that came to believe and, and were baptized. God was working through these apostles, through their preaching, but also he was enabled them to perform miracles, healing, for example, that substantiated and validated the message they were preaching in the early stages of, of the growth of the church, and the number of believers continued to grow. We read that it reached at one point 5,000 people. And then after that, they don't record the number, but it continued to grow. It is the enemies of these apostles and of the church that put into words, really, one of the ways in which this church was growing. They had accused the apostles. They said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." Those people that spoke this in derision. Ah, you have filled the city with this teaching. But for us, it points out, us to one of the ways, one of the uh, ways in which the church is growing. 
fill the city with Jesus' teaching. Now, as we follow the story after Pentecost, one of the first things we run into in Acts is a man who was born lame. He was at the temple steps, and when Peter and John came to him, through him, or through Jesus, they were able to heal this man. Amazed people around them. And they tried to tell the people around them that this man was healed through Jesus. That they should learn to put their trust in him. And they tried to preach this, but they were arrested. This was Peter and John. Uh, <clears throat> the authorities had to let them go soon because... Peter and John were very popular. These miracles had seen to that, and they're preaching. So they were afraid of the people, and so they let them go this time. A little later, we run into a man and a woman, Ananias and Sapphira. They had told the church, oh, we sold our land and we gave all the money to the church. But they were lying. Peter confronted them with that, and they fell dead right in front of Peter. This spread fear among especially the people outside the church. Still, miracles continued to be performed. People continued to hear the word. It was, uh, <clears throat> and many gathered at the temple to hear the apostles teaching and preaching. And so we read, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That was an area in the temple courts where all the people could gather, but it was a little bit protected, and so that's where they met. Now, the Jewish leaders, they would say, they can't teach this new religion in our holy temple. That is not right. And so we read what happened next. <clears throat> And then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Now, yeah, they said you know, they would have no rights. But in fact, what the apostles believed and what they were teaching was really the culmination of and the, the continuation of the Old Testament beliefs. It was what really a continuation of what all Jews, true Jews, had always believed. And in fact, for true Jews, those who put their faith in the true Messiah, this was an exciting time to be alive, to hear that the Messiah, whom we've been looking for, has come. The fulfillment of all those prophecies has happened in our time. What an exciting time to be alive. In fact, a lot of the, the trappings, the ceremonies and, and sacrifices of the Jewish faith would come to an end because these things were all pictures, prefiguring, shadows of what was to come. That is Jesus. And now Jesus had come. 
Once you see the real thing, you don't need the shadows anymore. Uh, <clears throat> so, really, we have to conclude, the, disciple, the disciples, the apostles, had every right to be teaching about Jesus in the temple courts. And this is what they did. And so we see the truth that the apostles taught the people in the temple courts. Now the Sadducees that we heard about in the reading there were not true Jews. They did not believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. They did not believe that there was such a thing as angels. They didn't believe that there would be a personal Messiah. It was more of an idea of a a political reform that, that would come. <clears throat> it seems inconceivable that these Sadducees should even be considered Jews by any stretch of the imagination, and yet they were the ones that were in the positions of leadership in the church, the group of believers of that day, the high priest, high priest, both the one who was officially high priest, Caiaphas, his father-in-law, who was kind of recognized by the Jewish people as high priest, because that was a position that was supposed to be held by life, but the Romans didn't like uh, Annas, so he was replaced by Caiaphas. All these, these were Sadducees, even though they didn't believe anything like what the Jews believed. And of course, preaching about Jesus and his resurrection flew in the face of what these Sadducees believed and stood for. It was a challenge to their authority. And so they became jealous of the, especially the popularity of what the apostles were preaching. They used their position to have these apostles arrested, thrown into jail. First time, they arrested Peter and John after they had performed, or they, oh, that miracle was performed through them. This time it was all the apostles, must have been all 12 of them, in that jail cell um, close to the, the temple. But that didn't stop the apostles. An angel came and opened the door so they could get out, sent them on their way, and the first thing they do is go right back to the temple and continue to preach and to teach about Jesus. This would certainly continue to do what the Sadducees said they were doing. You are filling Jerusalem with Jesus' teachings, and that's exactly what they were doing. So we read on. And when the high priests and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. 
And the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The escape which the angel had engineered for the apostles, getting all 12 of them out of their jail cell, was, went unnoticed at first. Even the guards seemingly didn't even know that this had happened. Because when, when the temple guards came to, to get the apostles, they found everything looked like normal. The guards are standing there in their position, watching as if nothing had ever happened. The gates, the doors were, were locked. Everything was fine until they opened the doors and there was nobody in there. They were at a loss to explain what happened here when all of a sudden they get the news. Those men you put in the jail are in the temple courts teaching the people. So then they rearrested the apostles, hauled them into the session of the Sanhedrin, and uh, <coughs> the apostles now explain why they were doing what they were doing. They were commanded, they said, we were commanded by God to teach this message, and we're going to obey God before we obey you. We fear God more than we fear you, so we'll obey God. So we see how the, the apostles defied their leaders to teach the people. We see here how the apostles worked under persecution, because this is what happened repeatedly as they carry out their work. They defied the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin had commanded them to stop doing something God had commanded them to do. And so the apostles would have to do this often in their work because there was a lot of opposition before Christianity became well-spread. Uh, but we also see how the apostles accepted the punishment that was meted out for th this offense. Okay, if you do that, you're going to be punished. Okay, let it happen. God will protect us however we need. Jesus himself, when he was arrested, let himself be arrested. He had the power to resist, but he didn't. He just let them arrest him. So the apostles also, when they would be arrested and whatever would happen, they let it happen to them. They would stand up and defend themselves if necessary, but they would go without protest. And God would protect his apostles. As long as he had work to do for them to carry out, and until that time, then maybe he would use one of these persecutions to call them to heaven. This would happen to most of the disciples at later in their lives. It seems like almost all of them were actually executed for their faith after they had done 
the work that God had set out for them. One of the apostles, James, was beheaded shortly after this, early in the book of the Acts. God's work with him was done as it was for John the Baptist, for example, when he was only in his 30s. So God can protect and would protect, as he protected, for example, the three men in the fiery furnace, for work that he wanted them to continue to do and until the time when he will call them to heaven. But for now, these men would be protected. They would go on to teach. Even their arresters, this is what they said to them, to the ones who had just arrested them. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is an amazingly bold speech, isn't it? To speak to those who are accusing you, who have the power to punish you. This is what belief in the resurrection drove these men to do and can drive others to do also. These men genuinely wanted their captors to repent and to believe in Jesus as their Savior too. And they genuinely believed that God would protect them while they would do this, protect them in the way that was best for them. We could sum up their message that they preached to these, their captors with a couple of words the apostles preached forgiveness and resurrection to their captors. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead became a central theme for the apostles as they carried out their work, a central place in their message. As we saw, yeah, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. But it is followed by an accusation, a strong accusation of wrongdoing on the part of, the, of their uh, accusers, of crucifying the prince, their prince and savior. Now they go on, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. This is a call to repentance for these people. God wants to give forgiveness to them, to everyone, but repentance is only accepted when there is an acknowledgement of sin. And that's what they were looking for. They told them that Jesus was raised up by God. We read in the Bible that God raised Jesus and Jesus arose himself. Both are true because Jesus is the Son of God. But they tell him that Jesus was raised by God from the dead because he wanted to give forgiveness to people and reunite people to himself. Uh, <clears throat> it was a strongly worded but very impassioned plea to these people. It was a powerful and glorious message that they proclaimed to them. Now, it would appear that most of the hearers at this particular point here 
did not believe that message. We don't know for sure there were, whether there were any that did believe it here. There could have been some that believed it secretly for fear. That happens. Uh, but this is how the church grows. When that message is proclaimed. So, what now? What is there in this for us? First of all, we want to learn to speak about Jesus even in persecution. What would it be like? What would it have been like to be there, to be one of those apostles, to uh, go into the temple courtyard and preach about Jesus after you had been explicitly commanded by the authorities who had authority, who had the power to punish you, and to go and preach this anyway against their command. What would that be like? Now, they had been commanded by the angel, by Jesus himself, to do this, so they followed that command. But, man, would that be easy to do? The same command really applies to all of us. In fact, Jesus says, you know, if you deny me before people, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So we want to learn to confess him. Now, at our time, in our place in history, in our country, we don't have too much fear of being arrested or punished for preaching about Jesus. We can be thankful that we live in a time like this. Still, we do face persecution on a more subtle level, sometimes more insidious level. You know, get ridiculed, laughed at for, for believing in Jesus, for going to church, for uh, sticking up for the things Jesus wants you to do. We still are <coughs> told don't talk about religion sometimes. Now, there are places where that probably is actually true, but other places where, yeah, we want to speak this word because it's the only way people that are around us can learn to believe. We will be uh, told we are old-fashioned or narrow-minded if we stick up for some of the things that Jesus speaks about. You know, for example, he says, you know, sex is really only for married people. Or that a marriage is only between one man and one woman. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what God teaches. And people say, oh yeah, no, we can't go along with that. That's not being loving. But speaking, so speaking Jesus' teaching, even in our day, can sometimes be a scary thing. People laugh at us, reject us, push us to the side. But we are to confess him before people, to tell his story. And we don't always know what the reaction will be, like the apostles when they proclaim Jesus to their captors. Sometimes people will come to believe, but they are afraid to show it. We even have a couple examples that are pointed out to us in Scripture. Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus at night, earlier in Jesus' ministry. They came to believe in Jesus, but nobody knew it. They believed in him secretly until it came time to bury Jesus. Then they came forward to take Jesus' body and bury it. But up to that time, they were believers in secret. 
So the people, including Jesus, you know, that, that spoke the message to them didn't know the results of their message. And so sometimes that will be the case for us also. Speak that message to someone. Maybe they believe it. We just don't know about it. Uh, <clears throat> in any case, what we want to do is learn to speak about Jesus, to teach about Jesus, even when we face persecution. Then also we want to learn to speak about the essentials. Forgiveness and resurrection are a couple words we can pull out of what the apostles taught even their uh, <clears throat> accusers. In the words... Yeah, these, the words that Jesus, these apostles spoke to their accusers, so just one verse. It's not a real long dissertation. It may have been longer in real life, but it has the essentials of what we need to proclaim. Uh, Jesus' resurrection, as we said, is central to their proclamation. This is what gives hope to people. It gives hope to us. It gave hope to the apostles. It can give hope to those who hear our message. But it is accompanied by an accusation, an accusation of sin, so that they could acknowledge your sin, so that they would appreciate what this resurrection was all about. Sometimes such accusation is not necessary. Sometimes people feel their sin on the basis of their conscience accusing them, natural law written in their hearts telling them they are sinners. The jailer of Philippi, later on when Paul would be on his missionary journey in, in the city of Philippi, he was ready to kill himself because he felt that guilt of sin. And so Paul didn't have to preach law to him, didn't have to accuse him of sin. He went on straight to the gospel, believe and you will be saved. Then the apostles point out that, that God exalted Jesus as the resurrected Prince and Savior so that he can give repentance and forgiveness to people. That's what this was all about. Now here the NIV translation is a little misleading. It translates so that he might bring Israel to repentance. The actual Greek says so that he can give them repentance, give repentance to, the, to Israel. So even repentance is the work of God in the hearts of those who hear the message. But that repentance comes through the preaching, the proclamation, the teaching about Jesus and what he did and, and especially about his resurrection. So that's what we want to learn to do. Learn how to, in a simple way, Proclaim, speak about Jesus, about forgiveness he gives, about his resurrection from the dead so these people can have eternal life, the same eternal life that we have. Yes, we want to learn, we want to fill the city with Jesus' teaching. We want to, in the end, we want to do what the apostles did, what, the, what even their enemies accused them of doing and what they gloriously did. Fill the city with Jesus' teaching. Then the people can hear and believe. This is what Jesus died for. 
This is what Jesus rose from the dead for. This is our part in growing the church. Fill the city with Jesus' teaching. Let us pray that Jesus can help us in this life-giving goal. Amen.